Good evening, Grace Church. It is great to see you tonight. Glad you're here. And um, we uh, are just always so glad to come together, even if it's virtually, and share the word of God, share the presence of God, and, um, and just be together in that way. As we said Sunday, we miss you, and we can't wait till we're all together again worshiping God on campus. And so to that, or, or, or in that vein, to that end, we are beginning, and we began Sunday uh, with, with a series of, of videos of our church families greeting you, and we're going to continue with that this evening, so stay tuned as some of our families greet you this evening. Psalm 118 says, The Lord is by our side, I will not fear. What can man do with unto me? He is better to trust in the Lord than have confidence in a man. The Lord is my strength and song. We love and miss our Grace Church family. Hello, Grace Church. This is coming from the Booty Residence. We just wanted to tell you guys we miss you, we love you, we can't wait to come back to church and hug and I was gonna say kiss, but just hug. You'll be glad to see y'all all. We ready for church again. Good morning, Grace Church. This is Kathy and Donnie. We would like to tell y'all that we love and appreciate y'all. Miss you guys very much and thankful to be a part of Grace Church. We miss all our church family. We can't wait to get back. And guess what? I'm cooking through this. Surprise, surprise. Hey, Grace Church. This is how we quarantine for Easter. Happy Easter. See y'all soon. Stay safe. Hey, hey Grace, Grace Church. Church. Welcome from the Duran family. We're uh, we're all doing well over here. We just wanted to tell y'all how much we miss y'all, how much we love y'all, how much we can't wait to see y'all. We hope that y'all are enjoying the time that you have with your family. We hope that, uh, that you're getting more acquainted with this slower, way of life. Uh, we just wanted to uh, wish y'all luck. Hope that y'all are getting y'all's roots a little bit deeper and y'all's faith a little stronger. Taking time that, that we have now to, uh, to really, really, you know, just learn a few things and, and spend time with God. So we can't wait to see y'all. We really, really uh, are looking forward to coming back to church and really being with y'all physically instead of just virtually. So we love y'all and I hope y'all are doing well. Hey Grace Church, we're looking forward to when we can all worship together again. We love and miss you all. All right, all right, all right. Wasn't that great? So good to see some of our church families. And we're going to continue doing this throughout the coming services, so stay tuned. Just trying to stay connected any way we can. And so um, that was such a, a welcome treat to see those families. We look forward to seeing all of you very soon. Um, I do want to welcome you again. I'm going to try, I'm going to try this again tonight. We're going to start over on our welcome, and uh, we're just glad wherever you are that you've chosen to join us tonight, and we're going to have a great time in the Word of God. We're going to have a great time together tonight. Amen. We're going to start the service with prayer, 
And uh, we just invite you to, to bow your head, close your eyes, and pray right where you are. And let's ask God to help us tonight. Jesus, we are so thankful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you that your presence is everywhere. You're everywhere present. And wherever we're gathering tonight, you are there in the midst. I know you're going to bless us. I know your word is going to speak to us. And I know your anointing is going to flow. Be with us. Be with our church family. Protect us. Keep your hand upon us. And until that day that we're back together again, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get ready to remind you of a few things this evening, I do want to invite you uh, to give, to take this opportunity to give to the kingdom of God. And you'll see on your screen there, there are three ways that you can give. You can give online, you can give by text, and you can also mail your gift to the P.O. Box here at the church. So God bless you for your generosity. God bless you for giving to the kingdom of God. I know that you will be blessed in return. Amen. We have a number of things that I want to remind you of this evening, and I want you to take careful note. These are exciting things, good things happening here just in the next couple of days. First and foremost, is this Saturday from 10 to 11 is our Easter drive through And we talked a little bit about this on Sunday, but just to remind you that uh, it will be from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, driving through the Grace Church campus, and we're going to have a treat bag for the kids. We're also going to have your communion elements for Easter Sunday communion so that we can take communion together in that service and so uh, virtually, of course. And so we want you to come. We'll be pra- uh, practicing social distancing. Uh, we don't want you to get out of your car, stay in your car. Uh, if you feel like you need to wear a mask, all, all of that, please do. Uh, and, and we're just looking forward to seeing you, even if it's just for a moment. And we'll have to keep the line going, of course, keep things moving. But we're looking forward to this. We want you to take advantage of it. We want you to be a part of it. And so be blessed by that. If you're wanting to participate in the communion service on Sunday and you're not in the area, we do encourage you uh, just to um, to participate in that way with uh, some grape juice, maybe some crackers, something along that line would uh, would be sufficient and you would be able to participate if you're not able to come on Saturday and get those elements. And then, of course, as I've already alluded to, Easter Sunday this year will be live streamed. There will be no physical service on campus this Easter, but it will be live streamed at 11 o'clock. We will be participating in communion, and we want you to be a part of that, so make a note of that. And then also on Sunday at 10 o'clock, the Sunday school, the the children's Sunday school will be um, live streamed. It will actually be through Zoom, the app and the website Zoom. Uh, Farrah will be conducting Sunday school just like she did last week. If you need that link, please email the church office. Uh, and we'll get that to you through email. But they had a great time last Sunday, and it'll be no different this Sunday. And in addition, watch the podcast app or the tab on our website for updated podcasts throughout the week. You'll be hearing from the student ministry, uh, from Journey Young Adults, from Next, and also from the Overcomer Sunday School teachers. They are all uploading fresh content throughout the week on the podcast app and on the podcast tab of the website for your blessing and for your edification. And then finally, Sunday, May the 3rd, we are planning to honor all of our graduates. 
in that service. So if you are a graduate this year, then we want you to get that information to the church office just as soon as possible so that we can celebrate with you and so that we can honor your accomplishment. And we're looking forward to that. That's always a great, great time together celebrating our graduates. Amen. Amen. Now, as you know, I've already mentioned it, Easter is approaching. And uh, we always know in our neighborhood that it's Easter week because the neighbor two streets, uh, two streets over finally takes down his Christmas decorations. So we know that Easter's only a couple of days away at that point. But now that's a joke, but for some of you in your neighborhood, that's not a joke. Uh, so just, just saying. But, but uh, it is Easter time. And these times are anything but normal. They're anything but what we're used to. Um, I guess if, if I'm thinking correctly off the cuff here, this must be the first major holiday, major, um, you know, family time and celebratory time since the self, uh, since the stay at home order. So this is, uh, this is all on our minds. And I, I think that the word stable would not be the word that we would use to describe these times. I think that we look at the economy, we look at the ups and the downs of the trajectory of, of what's going on and, we probably feel deep down anything but stable. But there's a fascinating verse in in the uh, book of Isaiah chapter 33 that I want to share with you tonight. Isaiah chapter 33 verse 6, it says, Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of thy salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. It's so important to do what we're doing here tonight. And that is obtaining knowledge of God's word together. It's very important that you spend time in personal Bible study and in prayer, obtaining knowledge of the word of God. But the knowledge or the obtaining of knowledge, the the gathering of information is not the end in itself. We also must put with that wisdom. And, And wisdom is simply putting the knowledge into application. Wisdom is using the knowledge we have and applying it to life situations or applying it to situations that are going on around us. And the Bible says, according to Isaiah 33, that that will be our stability. It's the knowledge of God, and it's also the wisdom of trusting in the word of God, trusting in what we know, trusting in what we hear, applying that. That is what brings us stability, even in a time where there seems to be no stability, even in a time where things seem very chaotic and upside down. So let that verse resonate with you tonight. Let it seep into your spirit. Let it bring you some peace and comfort as we seek more knowledge of God, but also the wisdom of God to bring us stability in these times. God bless you tonight. I'm going to ask you right where you are to put your Bible down, clap your hands, and give the Lord a praise as pastor comes to the pulpit this evening. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Dave, and welcome, and I'm glad that you are joining us this evening on live stream. It's interesting to me that it's called live stream because is there any such a thing as dead stream? So uh, I don't know why they just don't call it stream. I'm, I'm doing this as though you were all here on Wednesday night. I hope you can appreciate that, but uh, thank you for joining us. We had a great time Sunday, just a wonderful time Sunday in worship in the word of the Lord. We know that you were blessed, and uh, we're very thankful for that. And I want to thank everybody for watching, everybody that's watching faithfully, consistently. 
we want to thank you for that. And uh, wouldn't it be real cool if the rapture took place in just the next few minutes and the next time we see each other is over there? And uh, that would be pretty amazing right there. And who knows? It just may happen. Thank the Lord. Let's jump right into Bible study. Do remember the announcements. Remember Saturday, Sunday that was just announced. And uh, feel free to participate in the communion service. Uh, Please do that. Uh, let's jump into Bible study. I want to read our scripture text. I'd like to continue the theme we were on last Wednesday night, and I would like to share with you a little bit more about that on that subject. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the true purpose of the church. And I believe because of this uh, stay-at-home order, uh, stay-indoors order that we're under, I think we're learning uh, uh, about other methods and ways that we can have church. I received a number of text messages Sunday afternoon of people testifying that the power of God was in their living room, was in their home. One person texted and said, I shouted and danced all through my house with my doors open, and I know that my neighbors thought something was wrong with me. But the power of God can meet you in your house, and we're learning that. And uh, I invited you to pray Sunday uh, for the altar service. We'll do the same this Sunday, even though it's Easter. We're still going to anticipate God moving in our hearts and lives. So we're learning the purpose of our message, the value of it, and the purpose of it is to work outside the four walls of this building. And we say, we've said that many, many times in the past, and some of you are beginning to see that, that the Spirit of the Lord can work in your home. Now we just need to get some folks in our home that need a touch from God and let them be ministered to by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's what this Bible study series is about last Wednesday night. And then also tonight, just a quick review from last Wednesday night, the words bind and loose are perfect passive participles in the Greek language indicating things that have already been forbidden or permitted. We did mention to you last Wednesday night that you can't just do whatever you want and expect God to bless it. You must do what he wants and the blessing will come automatically. We use the illustration that if a contractor builds a house for someone, he sticks to the blueprint, which is the will of the purchaser. If we want to build a church, we need to stick to the blueprint, which is the Bible, which is the will of the purchaser, which is God. Otherwise, we're not really building a church. And I want to encourage all of you again, we don't particularly like what's going on right now, but it is the truer apostolic model of having service in your home if we can just get people into our homes, again, if we can get people into our homes, that God can minister to them as well. Last Wednesday night, I talked to you about uh, to do and teach, and then to witness and wait, and then to rise above and go beyond. We covered those three points last Wednesday night, and I would like to embark on three more tonight. First of all, I'd like to mention to you, according to the book of Acts, what you could call apostolic agreement, apostolic agreement. The Bible said in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord 
in one place. In our language, those two words, one accord, this is a unique Greek word. It's used six times to refer to the church in the book of Acts and helps us to understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. It's a compound of two words, meaning, first of all, to rush along. When they were in one accord, it means to rush along and in unison. The image is a musical note. You may remember in times past, we've talked to you about the Greek language being a picturesque language. The words paint a picture in and of themselves, and this is a good illustration of it. The image is a musical note. It's a, a number of notes are sounded which, while they're all different, they harmonize in pitch and tone. Like the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. So the Holy Ghost blends together the lives of the members of his church to accomplish his purpose. To further illustrate the power of unity, this apostolic agreement, agreeing, being in unity under the canopy of agreement, there are some 47 one another commandments in the New Testament that you cannot obey unless you are in fellowship with other Christian people. Here are some examples I'll give you. The Bible says in Galatians 5 to serve one another. In Romans 15, it talks about to accept one another. In Colossians 3, it talks about to forgive one another. In Romans 16, it talks about greeting one another. In Galatians 6, the Bible talks about to bear one another's burdens. In Romans 12, it mentioned be devoted to one another, and then to honor one another. In Romans 15, Paul taught to teach one another. In Ephesians 5, he taught to submit to one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he taught to encourage one another. These are just some examples. There's a total, again, of 47. The purpose of the church is found in this smorgasbord of scriptures that the Bible teaches can only come through the power of unity or the power of agreement. We all understand tonight that the power of unity is one of the most powerful forces on the earth, whether for good or evil. The Tower of Babel, for example, proved this until God confused their language to defeat this evil unity they were embarking upon. In Genesis 11, verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. You'll remember in Jesus' prayer before his betrayal, Jesus prayed that the world might see a united church, a unified church, a church in existence under the same banner of agreement. He knew that the world would believe in him when they could believe in us as the church. Disunity, disunity cost us our credibility. I'd like to have everyone understand that. We're all in our own separate homes and we're doing all the social distancing right now, but that doesn't mean we're not still unified, that we're not still operating under the same umbrella of the gospel truth. Disunity cost us our credibility. And the world already sees 
a lot of that. Jesus said in John 17 that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Listen very carefully. Our cities are not lost because the devil's power is greater than God's, but because we expend our energies on our own agendas, on self-promotion instead of self-sacrifice. We cannot pray, thy kingdom come, until we pray, my kingdom go. Temptation has killed its thousands, but disunity in the church has killed its ten thousands. And babies die easy in a fight. No one has ever, has ever left the church because of God. God's reputation can be ruined because of his children. God's reputation can be hindered and hurt because of his church and what it does or what it does not do. The Bible said in Romans chapter 2, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. I find it interesting that Gandhi, and all of you know who that is, he, he had this to say about Christianity. He said, I would have become a Christian if it were not for observing Christians. Folks, we can't, we can't do this. I know we're all frustrated. We're all anxious to get back in the building but we have a far greater work to do outside of this building than what while we're waiting for to do inside this building. And I hope we can understand that. It was said one time in the country of Ethiopia that the church does not pray for revival or preaches about revival. Instead, they pray for unity and they preach and teach doctrine and God sends them great revival. That's something very noteworthy that we should consider. Thank the Lord. So let me present to you tonight three principles of unity. Three principles of unity, and I hope all of you can appreciate this and understand this. Number one is unity does not depend on uniformity. Peter said in his epistle, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. He said, you also as lively stones, not bricks. Bricks are uniform. The bricks at my house is uh, built out of, they're all the same size, they're all the same shape. But stones are unique. Every member is not the same shape. Well, I guess literally speaking and figuratively speaking, I should say. Every member is not the same shape, but we're all fitly joined together by the master craftsman. I remember years ago when Sister Murphy and I just began evangelizing along with our children. We were staying at some families, at some of her family's house in North Carolina, and kind of to earn my keep, my brother-in-law uh, had a project that he needed done. And it was not anything like I had ever done before. But he had several pallets of stone at the bottom of a long descending hill from his house. And um, he said, I'd like for you to build me a stone wall. It was, it was part for cosmetic purposes, but the main purpose of it was to hold the dirt in that was going to be behind it. I had no clue what I was doing. 
And, uh, but I took his instruction and got on his old tractor. Had never driven a tractor before. Run it down that hill, fill the bucket up with all these stones. Not one of those stones were the same. Not one. They were all different. All different size, shape, weight, color. You name it. The only thing those stones had in common was the martyr that I mixed up to hold them together. And it took me about a week to finish that project, and it turned out to be a wall, as I remember, maybe uh, 20 feet long or so, and probably an average of three or four feet tall. But I remember, I remember it vividly, picking up each stone and try to set it in a spot and say, no, that don't look good right there. And it wasn't anything wrong with the stone, it just didn't fit in that spot. So I'd pick up another stone, I did that, and I tried to vary them, all the shapes and sizes to look uniform. And uh, my brother-in-law was well pleased, or at least he said, with my very amateur job of building a stone wall. But the point is well made, that there's none of us that are alike, and God planned it that way. But if we all come together in unity, the Bible said we are a house that's fitly framed together, and we, all, we can offer each other strength, we can offer, we can offer solidarity, and uh, we can represent Jesus. When you come to God, you don't lose your personality when you gain your identity in Christ. You still maintain the same personality. God planned it that way to make the church. I'm glad we're not all the same. I appreciate how the church can be versatile and, and people have different personalities and different gifts and they serve different purposes. But everybody is of equal importance and that's the beauty of this principle. The second thing I'll point out to you about unity is unity does not depend on compromise. And it's important that we understand that, especially in our society today. There is only one church in the New Testament. I mentioned last Wednesday night, God did not say that I'm going to build my churches. He built one church. And there's only one church in the New Testament. And when Jesus prays for unity, he is not speaking of denominations coming together and fellowshipping around the lowest common denominator of whatever the belief structure may be. I've been in environments just in the past several years where the, the fellow ministers and pastors that I was with, we had very little in common. I suppose we believed in the validity of the word of God, but everybody had their own interpretation of it. We believed in God, but everybody had their own different opinion about how God was manifested, whether he was one, two, or three, or however many. God, when he talks about unity, does not mean to compromise and just pick some real simple, minuscule thing and say, hey, let's unite around that. In fact, the one world church that's prophesied in the Bible is not a tool of God but it's a tool of the Antichrist to bring all the churches together of every faith, of every walk. That's the work of the devil to do that. And there's no solid or consistent belief structure when that happens. Jesus is speaking of real unity around the message first preached by the apostles. They were in one accord when they got that message. And that message in Acts chapter 2 has not changed. It has not. In our society that regards all values, beliefs, and lifestyles, and truth claims as equally valid, there is now only one universal virtue, not only in our country, but in the world, and it's called tolerance. 
And I'm sure all of you that keep up with the news hear that. And if tolerance is the cardinal virtue, then there can only be one evil, and that's intolerance. And that is exactly the attitude that we're seeing, especially even in our own government and governments governments around the world. If you don't see it like they do, then they can't be tolerant of you. United, the United Nations Declaration of Principles on Tolerance says this. Tolerance, it goes on to say, involves the rejection of dogmatism and absolutism. Isn't it ironic that the proponents of the new tolerance are so dogmatic about dogmatism and so absolute in their opposition to absolutism? In other words, any system that believes in absolute truth is by definition guilty of intolerance. I believe this is the work of the Antichrist spirit in our world today to destroy the church and to destroy the apostolic message. You don't even have to say anything. If you even think there's, there's absolute truth, then you are intolerant and thus an, uh, and thus an appropriate object of intolerance. To the modernist, non-agreement is phobia. Nonconformity is hate, and conviction is fanaticism. This is why the proponents of tolerance have no problem being intolerant towards Christian people because we believe in biblical truth, one God, we believe in sin, we believe in the evangelism of faith. So the spirit of the new tolerance has in great measure infiltrated the church in the last days. That is why many Christians have the false idea that all interpretations of Scripture are equal. doesn't matter what you believe. And to tell someone their belief or behavior is wrong is being judgmental. But I want to say again, the Bible, the Bible contains, the Bible teaches absolute truth. It's not based on opinion. It's not based on perspective. It's based on revelation and it's based on understanding. Vance Havner said, an early 1900s preacher, in the early 1900s, he said the New Testament church was an intolerant church. At once we throw ourselves open to a broad side of protest, he said. Intolerant is a scandalous word to use these days. Keep in mind, this is the early 1900s. For if there is anything that is in style among our progressive churches is that word tolerance. You would think that intolerance was the unpardonable sin. We are majoring as never in all church history on being broad-minded. We have become so broad that we become also pitifully shallow. And it doesn't ever seem to disturb us, he said. We must, we must broaden or bust. Of course, some experts in tolerance can be amazingly intolerant of those who do not share their broad-mindedness, but that does not disturb them either. And I do believe that to a great extent the evangelical world of our society has become so open-minded their brains has fallen out in a lot of cases. They don't know what they believe and they really don't teach anything. We're even seeing that among the Pentecostal-based faiths more and more. Uh, I know pastors tonight that used to teach and preach the book of Acts, the one God sermon and so on. 
I'd be interested to sit down with them today and have a conversation with them and ask them, what do they believe now? What do you teach is a sin? Because it seems in some church environments that hardly anything is sin anymore. And I agree with the writer, the early 1900s preacher, they've become so broad, and the broader you get, the more shallow you get. You lose your depth, and you lose your revelation and understanding of the Word of God. And then number three is unity and revival does depend on us. Talking about apostolic agreement coming under the umbrella of unity. That unity and revival and harvest does depend on us. Jesus prayed his prayer for unity in the presence of his bickering, prestige-seeking disciples. How must they have felt? How should we feel if we're not honoring his request? Some of you may disagree with this statement, but here it goes. The will of God oftentimes is subject to the will of man where the church is concerned. I read a story years and years ago when I started teaching home Bible study that when Jesus died and ascended back to heaven, the angels asked him, what are you going to do if that plan of redemption don't work? He said, I don't have any other plan. It's in the hands of men. And if they don't preach it and spread it, then it won't get done. I am thankful that all across our land and across our world are men and women that stand in pulpits similar to this one and they preach the gospel with all of their heart day in and day out. And God's going to rapture church out of here. Amen. The psalmist said, 7861, he delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He delivered his strength into captivity. I want you to consider with me this illustration. When I studied this over the past several days, it brought back very fond memories that I used to engage in with my own son when he was a small boy. But when a father wrestles with his child, he restrains his strength. Now, I'm forced to admit that the table has turned. I will not wrestle my son anymore. I quit wrestling him when he was about 16, 17 years old. We used to have an above-ground swimming pool in our backyard, and he somehow grabbed me just right and baptized me in that swimming pool. And I've never felt so humiliated that I was took down and forced to submit to my son's strength. So we quit wrestling after that day. But there was a time when he was about two that we would playfully wrestle on the floor. And a lot of you dads have no doubt done that, and some with you with younger children still do that. I didn't wrestle with him with my full strength. I would have hurt him badly back then. All I did was restrained his. I kept him from poking me in the eye and doing all those kind of things. But I didn't hurt him. And I want you to understand, the Bible talks about God that said his strength is made in weakness. His strength is made weakness. And to a great extent, the father's will uh, will be imposed on the child. So I could re strain my child but I never use my full strength to do it and and we do that oftentimes with the gospel we restrain it we restrain it and it doesn't come back on us as the heavenly father could with all of his strength but nonetheless he allows himself to be submitted to the will of man when it comes to the preaching of God of the gospel 
I want God to have his way at Grace Church. I want God to have his will done in this area, in this whole Baton Rouge area. We've talked about that in times past. But it, it, we could have great revival. We will have great revival when we all come under that umbrella of unity and revival and see God pour out the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The final thing I want to mention to you tonight, and I'll, I'll finish this up next Wednesday night. We're going to do it a little bit different next Wednesday night. But I want to talk to you about the uh, a huge advent in the Bible, and this is really what I've come to say tonight. And that is apostolic altar calls. If we could understand how this works and can work in our home. Uh, I had the awesome opportunity of praying a lady through to the Holy Ghost in our garage in Youngstown, Ohio. And it was only me and her and my mother in that room that day. The Holy Ghost fell in our garage. It was converted to a church. We've seen God move in our house, in our living room. We've seen God minister to people. We've had people repent at our sofa. Um, amazing things have happened in our home, not just in church. And folks, if I could get you to get your head around this and, and to be bold and to be full of faith, you can transmit that faith to someone else. And God could heal somebody in your living room. God could fill somebody with the Holy Ghost in your living room. God could forgive their sin in your living room. People could be delivered in your living room. If we could understand this apostolic altar call that the, the book of Acts teaches. Of course, Acts 2.38 says that Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The most important question that any man can ever ask is the first question asked on the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what shall we do? Meaning, what shall we do to be saved? The most important answer anyone could ever give would be their response to that question. And you and I need to know how to do that. What about the gospel that is being preached in most churches and in Christian literature today? Do they answer as the apostles answered? Or do they deviate from it? Do they really preach the same message, the whole message about Bible salvation? The word gospel is from the Anglo-Saxon word Godspell, meaning God message or good story. We use the transliterated term good news in place of the Greek word and usually think of it meaning only the good tidings themselves. However, in the Greek language, the word actually signifies a present, a gift given to one who brought good tidings or a sacrifice offered in thanksgiving for such good tidings having come. Therefore, the gospel signifies not only the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the good news, but also our response in receiving that good news, thanksgiving for such good tidings having come. That is, obeying the plan of salvation. So the gospel, according to the book of Acts, is not just the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it's also the, the second part of it is our expressing gratitude for that gift of the Holy Ghost. How many confused people have been left at altars being told they were saved after repeating a sinner's prayer and not knowing differently in their heart that anything had even happened? 
having someone repeat a prayer or pronouncing them saved takes away the conviction power of the Holy Ghost prematurely before repentance can even lead to salvation. I'll be very careful here, but one writer said this is spiritual abortion. We are interfering with the work of the Spirit of God when we are trying to bring forth a baby that isn't ready. It takes not only repentance, but water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost to be saved, God would rather see one true convert than an ocean full of decisions. So I'm going to ask you again, especially this coming Sunday, Easter Sunday, put aside the regret that we're not at church. Put that aside. Somebody said one time, there's no point in crying over spilt milk. It is what it is. We're, we're here where we are. So let's, make, let's take advantage of it. So I'm going to encourage you this coming Sunday. If you have friends and family in your home with you, pray, worship, talk to God. Get behind the sermon that's going to be preached this coming Sunday and see and watch the Holy Ghost fall in your house. I believe it's important that your kids see that it's possible to have a move of God in your house. Wouldn't it be wonderful to pray your child through the Holy Ghost Sunday or pray them back through to the Holy Ghost Sunday? Wouldn't it be amazing to see the Spirit of God work? And I know you're probably making big plans for dinner and all that stuff, but after all, what would you do if you were here at Grace Church? You just wouldn't shut it all down and walk out the door and go to the dinner table. We're going to spend some time talking to God community. That's kind of the whole point of Easter. So I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you to let the Lord have his way. I'm going to do my best here Sunday with just a handful of people, just enough to make all this happen. I'm going to do my best to have a move of God here this coming Sunday. Now what I want to do with you next Wednesday night I'd like for you to come prepared when you sit down in your living room or kitchen table, wherever it may be, like you'd have a pen and paper with you. I've asked you in our devotion video uh, several days ago to spend some time with your family, with your children especially, and teach them some Bible while you're all at home. So I'm going to give you some scriptures that you can jot down. Don't, don't you, they can listen to me. You can get them around you, and I hope you do next Wednesday night. What I'd like for you to do, what I'm going to ask you to do, is write these verses down that I'm going to give you next Wednesday night, and then you teach them to your children on Thursday. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. That's going to be your assignment, if you will, and uh, I'm going to ask you to do that. Some of you, have a number of our church families just in the past number of months of your children have prayed through the Holy Ghost. This would be, I'm going to give you some scriptures to explain to them what happened and why, what happened to their sin. I'm going to talk about repentance. We're going to talk about water baptism. We're going to talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And then the following Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to hear some testimonies of people receiving the Holy Ghost in your living room, or at least praying back through the Holy Ghost. I want to see a move of God, folks. We're not going to waste this opportunity, and God won't if we don't. If we will open our heart and let the Spirit of the Lord work, God's going to work. He's, he's looked forward to this moment, no doubt, to show you the power and glory that can be made manifest in your home. I'm going to encourage you.
to let it happen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the word of God that we can lean on, that we can stand on. And as we heard from the book of Isaiah tonight, it is our source of knowledge and wisdom. And I pray again, God, that we could just turn off the media for a little while and pick up the word of God and get resolute in our heart that God is going to have his way, that you're going to, your will is going to be done. We say that over and over, but we're going to see, looking back in hindsight, looking back in retrospect, that you had your way and your will was done where people were open and were open-minded. We ask you tonight to have your way. Let your spirit work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Keep your hand on Grace Church. Keep your hand on all of our churches and bring us back together again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight in Jesus' name.